Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. You know, at the Hartford, they understand that there's nothing small in small business. As a small business owner, you're busy. You have a ton of big decisions to make every day. And the last thing you want to do is worry about your small business insurance. With coverage from the Hartford, you don't have to. With over 200 years of experience and over 1 million customers, they are specialists in small business, from workers' compensation to professional liability, commercial auto, and more. The Hartford offers a wide range of small business insurance products so you can keep focused on what you love, knowing that they are behind you every step of the way. Learn more at thehartford.com slash smallbusiness. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Tapper. This is episode number 44 of my No Excuses podcast. And before we even get going, make sure you hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Well, I think I might have had one of the greatest weeks of my life, Corey. Oh, yeah? I spent three days at Disney World as a guest of Imagineering, and, buddy, it blew me away. Wow. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to tell you so much of what I saw, but I am going to tell you some of it. So I've been doing this thing the last couple of podcasts, and I really love it, reviewing everything that happened today over the years in National Day. So it's April 15th. It's Monday. And I don't know if you know this, but today is National Tax Day. And obviously, everybody has to pay our taxes today, so that's an obvious one. But it is actually National Tax Day. It's also now, also, <laughs> it's not only National Tax Day. Today is, April 15th, is National Take a Wild Guess Day. Isn't it interesting, Corey, that they have Take a Wild Guess Day on Tax Day? But if we take a wild guess on our taxes, we go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what I'm thinking when I'm doing my taxes. And also on Tax Day, it's National Rubber Eraser Day. So since huh. it's National Rubber Eraser Day, w- when you screw up your tax return, you can erase it and then take another wild guess, I guess. Right. <laughs> it's also National Titanic Remembrance Day. So, uh, 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 and I'm not, we're talking about the movie. I'm talking about the ship. So it is national Titanic remembrance day and Corey, you excited? I hope you don't haven't planned your dinner yet because today is national glazed spiral ham day. (laughs) (laughs) You notice it's not national glazed ham day, right? And it isn't ham day. It's got to be glazed and spiral to qualify for national ham day. Now, Whoever the company that creates spiral hams are, somebody paid somebody somewhere right. to cause this to happen. So it's National Education and Sharing Day. Okay, that was pretty good. Tomorrow, you're pretty excited about tomorrow, Corey, because oh. tomorrow's National Orchard Day, National Eggs Benedict Day. Pretty damn exciting. And uh, I'm going to expect you to do this tomorrow, Corey, and, uh, and I think we should post it online. And, and this is called, this new segment I just created is a segment within a segment, and it's called, quote, Embarrass Your Producer. So tomorrow, Corey, is National Wear Your Pajamas to Work Day. Oh, man. 
And I really think that, <laughs> that you know, being the committed, unbelievable producer that you are, oh, I think you should wear your pajamas to work tomorrow. Since I'm down here uh, 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 making bar rescue in Kansas City, I think you should send me a picture of you in your pajamas at work tomorrow. Could you do that for me? I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Because I'd love to post that picture online to prove to everyone the quality producer that you are and the commitment that you have to this show by wearing your pajamas to work on National Wear Your Pajamas to Work Day. All right, what do you I'll think, do it. Buddy? I'll do it. He'll do it. Okay, so <laughs> we can all look forward to a post tomorrow of Corey in his uh, uh, pajamas for National Wear Your Pajamas to Work Day. Okay. <laughs> He'll probably never talk to me again after this, but I'm guessing I will get that picture tomorrow. When you use Zoom, every day is a little better. Zoom video communications with the web's best-reviewed video conference service is used by millions to meet one-on-one or hundreds at a time. Zoom video conferencing lets you connect face-to-face with anyone across town or around the world with flawless video, clear audio, and instant sharing of files, video, anything. And you can connect through any device, desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference phone system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone put state-of-the-art technology at your fingertips and let you do business at the speed of Zoom. Look, if you're not using Zoom video communications, the only question I have is why not? I'll make it super easy for you. Visit Zoom online and set up a free account today. Try the most affordable and most reliable video communication solution on the market. Meet happy with Zoom. Okay, tomorrow is National Healthcare Decisions Day. So uh, uh, that, that relates to what healthcare programs you're going to buy or sign up for. It's also National Bean Counter Day. That's an interesting term. So huh. it's not National Accountants Day. It's not National Bookkeepers Day, Corey. It's National Bean Counter Day. Okay, let's move to Wednesday. So Wednesday is only four things. It's a light day, Corey. National Bat Appreciation Day, National Ellis Island Family History Day, National Cheese Ball Day. <laughs> I wonder if somebody in Wisconsin had something to do with that. Okay, here we go. We move to Thursday. And, Corey, you need to check your pockets for me on Thursday because Thursday is National Poem in Your Pocket Day. Oh. How did I come up with this shit? (laughs) National Poem in Your Pocket Day. All righty, we're moving to Friday. You excited? It's the weekend. Things are really starting to happen. It's National Clean Out Your Medicine Cabinet Day, so we can all look forward to that. But being it's Friday, it's also National Hanging Out Day. Oh, that's a good one. And it's National Garlic Day. I find it interesting. Don't they use garlic to to uh, 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 fight off vampires? They do. Because I, I find it interesting that in the same week, we have National Bat Appreciation Day and National Garlic Day. So we sort of got the vampire thing covered here. All right. Being in the bar business and the spirits business, I'm pretty happy about the next one. On Friday, it's also National Amaretto Day. I find it interesting. Amaretto is an Italian product by nature. And we have a national day for a product that is an Italian product. I haven't seen a national day for an American spirit yet. Have you, Corey? No. What the hell is with us? Why are we giving national days to a foreign product before our own? <laughs> uh, boy, we got to put America first. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? National North Dakota Day. And then now we turn the corner to Saturday. And it's getting very exciting. National Cheddar Fries Day. National Lookalike Day, Corey. Who do you look alike? They always say I look like Carlson. I can see that. You do look like Carlton, who's a, a Golden Knights player. Completely. I think you could probably sign autographs and get away with that. <laughs> now, I find it interesting. It was National Bean Day last week. 
now on Saturday, it's National Lima Bean Respect Day. So, Corey, when you see a lima bean, you should stand, right? Be respectful. Maybe bow your head, right? Say some words of respect. It isn't National Lima Bean Day. It's National Lima Bean Respect Day. Again, how does this shit even happen? Who comes up with this stuff? All righty. It's also National Pineapple Upside Down Cake Day and National Auctioneers Day. And you ready for the grand finale? Oh, yeah. On Sunday, National Kindergarten Day, National Chocolate-Covered Cashews Day, National Yellow Bat Day, and then, of course, we roll right into Easter. And there we go. That is today, this day. You know, at the Hartford, they understand that there's nothing small in small business. As a small business owner, you're busy. You have a ton of big decisions to make every day. And the last thing you want to do is worry about your small business insurance. With coverage from the Hartford, you don't have to. With over 200 years of experience and over 1 million customers, they are specialists in small business, from workers' compensation to professional liability, commercial auto, and more. The Hartford offers a wide range of small business insurance products so you can keep focused on what you love, knowing that they are behind you every step of the way. Learn more at thehartford.com slash small business. This week, this past week, was probably one of the most exhilarating weeks I have ever had. This past week, I got to spend, oh, three days, three and a half days at Disneyland as a guest of Imagineering. And I gave a speech, too, and I got a chance to spend a bunch of time with the Imagineering team at Disney. And for those of you that don't know about Disney Imagineering, it's really an incredible thing. When Walt Disney was building his first Disneyland, He went from architect to architect to architect and said, listen, I'm trying to build this. I'm trying to build that. And it had technologies and trails and and railway systems and all sorts of things. And every architect he went to said, listen, uh, this isn't what we do. We don't know how to build this. And then he'd go to another architect and he'd say, you know, we don't know how to build this. Finally, one architect said to him, listen, if you want to do this kind of stuff, you need to create your own architectural firm. You need to create your own creative house that you know can learn how to do these things because we don't know how to do it. And Walt Disney created Walt Disney Imagineering, WDI they call it. And Walt Disney Imagineering is a collection of the most creative architects, engineers, artists, animators, project managers, uh, uh, everything that you can imagine – that drives the creativity behind Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and even other Disney products and endeavors typically comes out of the Imagineering team. So touring the Imagination facility, meeting all of the Imagineers, uh, um, and you know, seeing the history. I got to go into the archives and see the original sketches that Walt Disney made of the original Disneyland in the archives of Disney. Wow. I got to see the first ever day-night rendering. I've never seen anything like this. A huge rendering of Disneyland framed on a piece of paper in color. And then when you turn the lights out, it glows as if the park is in a nighttime mode. I got to see original sketches, original drawings. Then I got to go to something that was incredibly powerful to me. When I was a young boy, I went to the New York State World's Fair. And at the New York State World's Fair, there was an exhibit called General Electric Carousel of Progress. And it was presented by a guy I never heard of. His name was Walt Disney. And I took this ride and it changed my life. And I read books about Walt Disney because I was fascinated by him. And one of the things that I had read is Walt Disney had an apartment in Disneyland over the firehouse. 
And he used to sit in this apartment over the firehouse in Disneyland. And he built the apartment when he was building the park. And a lot of people don't realize when he opened the park, he was sort of the general manager. He was there every day. His house was an hour and 15 minutes away. So he built this little apartment over the firehouse in the circle on Main Street in Disneyland. And he would sit in this window. And he would watch, and the window was angled perfectly. He could watch from one side the facial expressions of all the people entering the park. So he could see how they reacted to his design, to his work. And then he could shift his angle, and he could watch the people leaving the park. And what was their facial expression? And what bags did they have? And were they wearing Mickey shirts and this and that? And he would study and study and study. And he would, like I do base his decisions on the reactions of his customers and the people around him. Well, when I read this and heard about Walt Disney sitting there secretly looking out the window, watching his customers, modifying his park, modifying his attractions, trying to read his customers and understand what they loved and what they didn't love about his park, I said to myself at 9, 10 years old, man, the greatest thing that I ever want to do is look through that window. I would love to see what he saw. And as a 10-year-old boy, I would actually think about that. What did he see looking out that window? What did he see that made him so creative? What did he see that caused him to create these technologies, these stories, these entertainment formats? What did he see that other people didn't see? And at a young boy, that really impacted me. And I've been wanting to look out that window my entire life. Two days ago, I did. And I posted the picture online. It's on my Facebook and my other social media pages. I got to go into Walt's apartment above the firehouse in Disneyland. I got to look at his panini machine where he made <laughs> grilled cheeses. I heard amazing stories about Walt at midnight, leaving that apartment in a bathrobe and going down to the sun-kissed orange juice stand on Main Street at midnight, one in the morning, and pouring himself a glass of orange juice. I heard stories of him running the place himself interacting with the employees, sitting and having coffee at one in the morning with them. And I got to look out that window. And I'm going to tell you, I cried. It was an incredibly emotional thing. You know, when greatness happens in life, we know it. We see greatness around us, don't we? And when we see greatness around us, it inspires us all to be better. Walt Disney redefined greatness in so many ways. And when we take a look at what's happening in his parks today, I heard a fascinating story. They're looking at remodeling the castle at Disneyland. And there's a whole discussion. I mean, Walt Disney built that castle. Do you change something that the man built? <laughs> and then somebody else says to me, hey, if he was alive, he'd be the first one to change it. <laughs> so growth never ends, apparently, for him, even, even uh, after his death. You know, there's such a great lesson in what happens when, when we pursue dreams, when we push ourselves to be more than we ever could. When we find obstacles, like there's no architect who can build it, so we find one who does or create one who does. When we're told that you can't build this, but we build it anyway. When we're told that we can't do something, but we do it anyway. You know, these are the moments that define us. When you have an obstacle, you have a choice. Either you blow past that obstacle or you let the obstacle slow you down. Walt never let the obstacle slow him down. He found a solution every single time time. My guest in this week's show found a solution every single time. His name is Jared Isaacman. Jared Isaacman at 16 years old created a credit, credit card processing that now does over $100 billion a year in credit card volume. 
Jared Isaacman is in his 30s, owns the largest air force in the world. At a young age of 14 to 15 years old, this young boy drove around in his father's car with his dad and built himself a $100 billion business. He didn't allow barriers to hold him back. He broke them down. Walt didn't allow barriers to hold him back. He broke them down. Elon Musk doesn't allow barriers to hold him back. He breaks them down. Do you allow barriers to hold you back or do you break them down? Do you accept that things in life are going to slow you down or do you run faster? Do you accept that things in life are insurmountable or do you just run over them and win? I wanted Jared to be on my podcast this week because I wanted you to hear a story of someone who broke down those barriers and achieved a level of success that is inconceivable for most of us to even dream about. You see, success comes when we act. Success comes when we break down barriers. And nobody has broken more barriers than Jared Isaacman. And I'll be right back in a minute, and we will talk to Jared. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. And you know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then, simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Tapper's back. This is No Excuses with John Tapper. I have been so excited to have you on the podcast because, you know, my podcast is all about no excuses and, and people really moving forward in life. And Jared, you and I have become good friends these past few years, and, and your story is, has been such an inspiration to me. I really wanted to share it with some other people. So I hope you're okay talking about yourself a little bit, buddy, and sharing so, some of your success. So those that don't know Jared Isaacman, Jared Isaacman owns a company called Shift4, which is one of the largest uh, uh, payment companies in the world. But what's fascinating to me is your start, Jared. So you grew up in Allentown, right? In Allentown, Pennsylvania? I grew up in the area, I did. And and you, at a very young age, uh, uh, took a GED to get out of high school and started a payment processing company at 16 years old. So I've got to ask you a question. When did you start thinking about business? How old were you? And how did this thought come into your mind at such a young age? Yeah, I, 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 I think I was probably scrounging around trying to um, – you know, um, make, make money, um, years before, uh, I started the business. I, I think that's a product of having a, a lot of older siblings. So I was the youngest by a pretty good margin. Mm-hmm. My, uh, older brother is 15 years older than me. My sister is 13 years older than me. And my other brother, uh, who's the closest in age is 10 years older. So I think from a very young age, I saw them going out and enjoying the world and, 
buying whatever they wanted at the supermarket or ordering <laughs> pizza on their own and saying, I, I, I got to have some independence in my life. I got to be able to do some things for myself. So long before I started the company, I think I was caddying. I was working at Burger King. Um, I was I was certainly lying about my age to get whatever job I could uh, to put a little money in my pocket. So you've always been industrious in that way. Okay, so now you're a young kid, you're caddying, you know, you're trying to make dollars, you see your older siblings being successful in life. I can get that, by the way, I'm the young one in my family, Jared, so I totally understand that. You know, my brother was an attorney and a, and a VP of a credit card processing company, believe it or not. But uh, uh, so how did you land on going into the bank processing business? Of all the things that a 16-year-old boy would think of, you'd think that you'd get into cars or airplanes or something fun. And we'll talk about airplanes in a minute. But how did you wind up on the business plan that you did? Yeah, it's a it's a very unique story. And like a lot of things in life, I mean, a, a little bit of luck helped. So um, myself and who our current uh, CTO is, Brendan Lauber, uh, we were um, middle school, high school friends. And we started a computing a computer company called uh, Deco Systems, and we were doing computer repair and website design. Um, and this is when we were about 15. And uh, as a way to generate leads, um, I went to work for a computer retail store called uh, CompUSA. I remember uh, this them. Was in, yeah, and this was a, this was actually in Central New Jersey, so it was quite a drive. My father would have to would have to take me to work because I didn't have a driver's license. And, <laughs> and we did a good. We did a good job for CompUSA and we, you know, but, but when there was clearly an opportunity for something that we could help with that was outside of the scope of the retail store, we generated leads for our own company. And one of those companies that came in, one of those leads uh, was called Merchant Services Inc. And they were a New Jersey based uh, credit card processing company. And they uh, retained myself and Brendan for a project to come in and do some I think they had some viruses actually in the, and, and some, uh, some e-commerce related work. Um, and, uh, and then certainly thereafter, they actually offered me a full-time job and, and that was far more stable than the, the kind of scraps we were picking up at this company. Brendan and I started. What's interesting to note, John, is we actually came back full circle, uh, full circle. I, I wound up buying that company, uh, merchant services, um, about in 2014, it was a it was nearly a quarter of a billion dollar transaction. So where I got my start came right back around almost 14 years later in my career. That's really funny. When did you fly your first plane? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I I flew without a license, like just getting um, exposure to from other pilots, probably as early as eighth grade. Um, but uh, I started my kind of really focused effort uh, at becoming a pilot in 2014. I'm sorry, 2004 and 2005. And it was just a, a burnout factor from work. I needed a, I needed a hobby, and I always appreciated, loved aviation, uh, and that's when I started my journey, and I kind of ran with it pretty hard. I think that what you just said, Jared, is, is just unbelievable to me, and it speaks to your entrepreneurial spirit at such a young age. So you had burnout at what age? <laughs> Yeah, I, geez, what was that? Fifteen years ago, I guess. So I was around. I was around twenty-one. But in, in all fairness, I was living in it, like uh, in the office for probably. I mean, I was already five, six years deep into the company and probably doing it twenty-four-seven. So, yeah. um, I needed something, you know, other than just uh, working in front of a computer and aviation gave that to me. 
So you know what's incredible? I've had the honor of meeting you, Dad, who's, who's quite a guy. I don't have to tell you that. But when I hear the story of you as a young man and him driving you around and supporting you and helping you get the business going, your family environment really provided a, a, an unusual amount of inspiration and support to you when you were that young boy trying to start out. Uh, uh, how much does that mean to you when you look back at your father's role in that today? Yeah, it means a ton. I think it's one of the most rewarding experiences of my life is that I got to work with my father for for a long time. I mean, uh, certainly in those early days, I mean, even pre, um, you know, shift four, just driving me to work at uh, CompUSA and instilling a little bit of wisdom, you know, as a, as a career professional salesman and marketer, um, he was imprinting important lessons on me even before really I was, I was running a business. And then for, for years after, I, I don't know if you know, I mean, shortly after we started the payments company, my father left his job and joined. Um, so I got to work, you know, shoulder to shoulder with him uh, for, I mean, a very long time. He's still the president of the company today. I mean, he's, he, he spends a little bit less time there than he used to, but it's a great experience. And, and, you know, my mother was there as a bookkeeper for a while. My sister was a, <laughs> was a sales representative. Uh, my brother, Michael, uh, he runs business development for my other defense aerospace company. So I've been very fortunate to have a pretty close relationship with my family across my business endeavors. Yeah, that's a really powerful thing. So imagine this young boy, Jared, leaves high school, gets his GED, goes into this business, and at a young age, at 15 years old, you learned all about sales and sales funnels and prospecting and finding leads and closing those leads and trying to get some web building business or computer business. And all of that happened before you were 16 years old, really. That's so. Right. So you had you had this orientation towards business, prospecting, converting, creating revenues. You understood the stress of sales, the stress of trying to find business. It's an incredible start. So from there, I want everybody to hear this number. Shift four will do what kind of credit card volume this year? Uh, north of a hundred billion. A hundred billion dollars from a 14, 15 year old boy who decided that he wanted to build websites and build a company. So now what you've done is you take this credit card processing model that you got exposed to, and then one day you came up with the realization of why won't I give them the hardware? And that was a real change in the business. Tell us that story, Jared, because everybody was paying for their credit card processing equipment back then, correct? Absolutely. So, and that was actually one of our, uh, one of our earliest marketing initiatives. I mean, throughout our, our 20 years, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud to say we never remained stagnant. Um, you know, we always try to induce an environment, uh, to challenge the norm, um, and be disruptive in order to grow the business in 2004, 2005. I mean, I don't, I don't consider it you know, uh, super wisdom in that uh, other industries have certainly uh, copied the notion of, you know, giving away the, you know, the, the razor handle in order to sell the blades. Well, that's no different than what we did uh, within the credit card industry at that time, which was giving away the, the hardware um, that enabled credit card acceptance in order to drive what really mattered to us, which was payment volume. Um, and we've kind of evolved that program many, many times since uh, to incorporate things like touchscreen point of sale systems and other, other elements of what has become a, a very vertically integrated strategy at our, at our business. Okay. So I want to picture this. 
So you're 16 years old. You've got your credit card terminals, your little square credit card terminals. You're with your father. You're driving around and you're trying to give these terminals away to people that are normally paying $30 or so to buy the terminal. Is that a good picture? Yeah, I, I, I'd say only it was it was even more. I mean, typically when I got in the industry, um, these devices were, you know, six, seven hundred bucks each or you were leasing them for 40 or 50 a month. Um, wow. I mean, they're, they're expensive. Um, and, and you're totally correct. What you're what you're visioning is, is correct. I was sitting with my father driving around pitching convenience stores across New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, we did start building out a pretty large external sales force that really embraced having a no cost device in order to um, in order to accelerate their growth. Um, and then that in turn really helped accelerate our company's growth. So let me tell everybody how we met. So, so uh, Jared and I met a number of years ago. Jared had this vision to create the world's greatest POS system. And it blew me away what your vision was, Jared. And, you know, we've talked about this a little, but I might make you blush a little bit for a moment. So I meet this young gentleman who has this over $100 million credit card processing company who has this vision to create the world's finest POS system. And then he's going to give it to everybody completely for free and disrupt and change the entire industry. And Jared, I had the honor to provide some input to work with you and endorse the work that you were doing. So think about this from this young boy in his car with his father driving around trying to give away these terminals that people are paying you know, 30, 40, 50 dollars a month for. He placed one, then two, then three. And how many did you place in the beginning, the first couple of years? Did you have a few thousand out there, or a few hundred? You know, we would uh, we we would track the uh, the file numbers in the cabinet every time we hit a milestone: one hundred, two fifty, five hundred. <laughs> I, 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 a thousand was a was a was a pretty big moment because that meant you had some size regionally, um, and that was probably. I want to say we got to a thousand somewhere around 2003. Um, and then, you know, today we have 185,000. So it's, yeah. uh, it's been quite a story. So from that little boy in that car up to 185,000 locations and over a hundred billion dollars in credit card volume. Now that's what happens when you start with an entrepreneurial spirit at a young age. The fact is, Jared, you are 20 years or so ahead of your peers, aren't you? Really, when you think about it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I really haven't, uh, thought of it like that. I just kind of think about where we're at today and what we've done and where we want to be tomorrow. So when you think about the fact that Jerry, you're, you're very often the youngest person in the room and the most experienced and capable person in the room all at the same time. And there's a lesson in this because when I was young and I was successful, you know, I used to walk into a room and everybody was 50, 60 years old and I was 25, 27. Jared, you can probably relate to what I'm about to say. Sure. And sure. you walk in a room and it's a little intimidating and everybody's 20, 30 years older than you. They're looking down at you. What the hell is this young guy doing here? What does he know? He's a punk. He doesn't know anything. And then after a few of those meetings, I realized, wait a minute, I'm in the same room they are and I'm 20 years younger than them. That sort of puts me 20 years ahead, <laughs> not behind. And then I got rid of that intimidation and I started to build confidence around it. Did you feel the same kind of intimidation in the beginning when you were young? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, no, no, no joke at all. In some of the earliest years when, uh, you know, I wasn't even 21 yet, I, I, I would not shave for like three months just, just to try and put a couple more years on a baby face. <laughs> uh, but I, I can totally relate, uh, John. And I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the same skills we rely upon in sales and marketing, 
I mean, you, you, you have to win over the people in the room. They have to, they have to like you. And that obviously goes a really long way. And then you have to be confident and, and you have to be confident as well. And that can overcome some pretty large age gaps. And it certainly has in my career. Yeah, it certainly has. Okay. Now I'm going to tell the people, uh, all of our listeners, something that, that will probably shock them. And may, I want to make sure I'm correct when I say this. I'm not sure if it's one of or the, but you own one of or the largest private air force in the world. Is that correct? Yeah, it's the, for no question. And how many aircraft do you have? We have over uh, 150 fighter jets. Fighter jets. Now, I ha- I've had the honor of going to your facility at Ellis in Nevada and see it. So this is an incredible story. Jared owns an Air Force of fighter jets. And you're under contract by the Defense Department, correct? That's right. And you, you spar with our Defense Department, actually, under your contract. And if I'm not mistaken, you can fly your Air Force at less per hour than the Air Force can fly its Air Force. No question, uh, by a very wide margin. I mean, right, the service we provide to the Department of Defense saves taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars every year. It's an enormous cost savings initiative. Okay, now how does a young man say, I'm going to go buy myself some fighter jets? And how do you buy a fighter jet? And how do you get it to America? I mean, how do you do this, Jared? I mean, the thought that you had to buy fighter jets and do this, nobody's ever had a thought like that before, have they? Well, I mean, in all fairness, and I, I've said this a lot lately, my my aerospace business, Draken uh, uh, International, is probably the second coolest company in the world. You know, Elon Musk is putting is putting rockets in space and going to take take a colony to the moon. So. When it comes to the cool factor, it's probably the second coolest out there. Um, but it is an amazing, amazing business. And all your questions were the right ones. I mean, you can't just go buy fighter jets. It, there is uh, regulatory approvals. There's security approvals. Um, and even if you can buy them, they could just be sitting as a hulk in the lawn. I mean, you have to be able to sustain them and operate them and certify them that they're safe to operate in the United States. Get and then you've got to be able to keep Oh, yeah. And you have to be able to keep up with the the most demanding customer in the world, which is the United States Air Force. Um, So it's no easy task, but but it made a ton of business sense um, and well worth the journey um, and the investment. It's uh, it's proven to work out quite well right now. So how old were you when you bought your first fighter jet? Uh, 2008, I believe. So so call it 11 years ago. So you were in your 20s. That's right. Oh, yeah. So, so now you, you own these fighter jets. You have an Air Force of your own, and I've seen them. They're unbelievable. You have them from several different countries, seven different models, and, and you have some of the greatest pilots in the world working for you. And Jared's company goes in the air almost every day and spars with the Air Force. That's and, absolutely right. And, and your dream in life, because we were talking, I got to see you a couple weeks ago, and I loved it when we were talking, and I said, we were talking about something, you said to me, John, I'd rather be flying upside down. <laughs> when, you own yeah. your own Air, when you own your own Air Force and you love to fly as much as you do, and I'm guessing you love to fly as much as anyone I've ever met, how do you let those planes sit on the ground and go to work today in bank processing? Is it hard? You know, it's priorities, right? And, um, and for sure, I mean, from a pure passion perspective, um, flying those type of airplanes. Um, I mean, I, I flew air shows for a number of years, and it was some it was some of the greatest times of my life. 
Um, it, 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 but, but really every day you wake up and you know where your priorities need to be. And I have a responsibility for, you know, a thousand employees, uh, at shift four payments. Um, and we've got a great mission. I mean, yep. we're, we're, we're growing super fast. Um, and we have a responsibility to a lot of customers. I mean, we power half of Las Vegas, which is a really demanding hospitality environment. So, yep. so you gotta, you gotta prioritize every day and know where your responsibilities need to be. And my responsibility is to issue for payments, but it doesn't mean I don't sneak a ride every now and then in a, in a fighter when I have time. <laughs> what do you think when people say I'm too young to do that? Do you laugh? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, um, you're asking what people think of when, when they speak to me, like, that I'm no, no, really no. When, when people say to you, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't have the experience to do this. I'm too young to do this. And you hear those kind of excuses we do in life. You never use those excuses, Jared. You were never too young to succeed. Were you? Yeah. I, I, I mean, look, they, the ball bounced my way a couple of times for sure. As I, as I think it has for, you know, a lot of people who found some, some great success in life. Um, I think that sometimes that that ball bounces at different times and sometimes we're not ready uh, in life to see it when it, when it does. Uh, Age is not a limiting factor as, as you know, from your own career success. I mean, if you identify opportunity and you commit yourself to it, um, you can, you can find all sorts of success at any age. That's right. So, 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 you know, I think there's a huge lesson to our discussion, Jared. You know, I love you, buddy. You're a great guy. You're in a great company. You have incredible integrity. And people want to be around you because of the integrity that you have. But there's a great lesson in this for all of our listeners. And that is that, you know, start young. If you don't start young, th- then you're going to finish late. <laughs> so start young. And, and, you know, I always in my uh, book, Jared, no excuses, right? Stop BSing yourself. You know, one of the biggest excuses that people say is knowledge. I don't have the knowledge to do it. I don't have the knowledge to do it. You didn't know the bank processing business inside out when you started it. And you didn't know everything there was to know about an Air Force when you started it. So knowledge has never been an obstacle for you, has it? No, you know, and you're you're totally correct because if you do find the op- the right opportunity in life and you are passionate about it, well, then you can go and solve for knowledge. Um, I, you know, I'm, I point to Elon Musk. I'm pretty sure he didn't know anything about putting rockets in lunar or Mars orbit, but he he identified a real need. It's a substantial need and committed himself to it. And obviously is one of our great entrepreneurs of our time right now. Absolutely. He is. So the fact of the matter is knowledge should not hold us back. We can get knowledge. Fact is right. fear shouldn't hold us back. You jumped in an airplane, you fly, you fly experiment. Fear never held you back, Jared. And then you think about circumstance, circumstance of the recession. Your company grew during the recession, didn't it? That's right. So, so, you know, that couldn't be circumstance wasn't an excuse for you either. So you got past fear, you got past circumstance, you got past lack of knowledge. You really don't have an ego, Jared, because somebody of your, your wealth and and character. So you put that aside and have people around you. You have taken all of the excuses that people use in life to prevent them from achieving success. And you've broken each one of them down. That's what I wanted everybody to learn about Jared Isaacman, buddy, is that, that you have this innate ability to just find the knowledge push the fear aside, deal with the circumstance, you know, deal with the scarcity. You didn't have millions of dollars when you started your company either. And that's the lesson in Jared Isaacman. As a young boy, you had a dream and you chased it. And regardless of what you got there. And now this year, 
your company, between all your companies, what would be the overall revenue of your companies this year, if you don't mind saying? Uh, close to three quarters of a billion. Three quarters of a billion dollars. And how old are you, Jared? <laughs> 36, I think. I have to check on it. Yeah, 36. <laughs> 36 or 37. Uh, uh, this should be a story of inspiration for everyone. Put your fears aside. Put, you know, that lack of knowledge shouldn't hold you back. You know, circumstance shouldn't hold you back. You can live your dreams. Jared did. And at some point, you're going to retire and you're going to own the greatest airplanes in the world. And you're going to do exactly what you do when you want to do it. And, and that's the beauty of life, Jared. Buddy, thanks for being here. I've been, you know, trying to get you on this podcast for so long. You know, I love you and I, and, and I wanted everybody to hear your story because it's really inspiring to think of the empire that you've built as a young boy who said at 16, I'm going to leave high school, take my GED so I can go to work sooner and quicker and advance my career. Jared, I got to tell you a funny story, buddy. I took a GED too. I don't think I've ever told you that. No, you didn't. And I did exactly the same thing. So I took a GED, went to college for a year, didn't like college, and then went into business because I, too, like you, was in a hurry. I wanted to start my life. I wanted to get ahead. Now, I'm not suggesting people should leave school and get GEDs. We did it to go somewhere, not to leave something. And that's what's important about when we did that and took that GED. We didn't do it to leave school. We didn't do it to drop out of anything. We did it to go somewhere pursue a great and exciting career and you did buddy hats off jared well john i really appreciate it and thanks for sharing that with me i didn't know we, we had uh, some similarities even in our even in our earliest days um yeah, we thanks did. for having me on, on this i really appreciate it uh my pleasure uh remember if anybody's interested uh you can look up uh, jared isaacman on google there's a lot of fascinating stories if you're young and you're th thinking of starting a business jared is a great example of what you can do when you just really want to regardless of knowledge, resources, or anything else. It's also a great story of family. Thanks, buddy. We'll be right back with audience callers in just a minute. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Hey, it's Adam Carolla letting you know about my newest podcast, Going Racing. Me and Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, that is. We'll uh, highlight the fastest cars. We'll talk about the best races and the best celebrities in motorsports. Subscribe now at Podcast One. Shut it down. All right, John. New week and new callers. Let's shut it down. First up, we have Jim who wants to take his charity to the next level. So I understand you've got a charity golf outing or something that you're working on. Tell me about it. Yeah, we do. So it's, it's really cool, uh, really cool thing. So now we're in our 50th year. It's a family-run event. Um, it's, it benefits a summer camp on Long Island for children with special needs. And what happened was my great-grandfather had started it because my aunt was born with spina bifida, born in a wheelchair. So basically, long story short, here we are 50 years later, donating what amounts to about a third of the camp's budget every year. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty cool event. So, so what is it? Is it a golf outing with a dinner? Uh, uh, do you sell, do you sell rounds? Do you, do you sell sponsorships for greens? Tell me the structure of the event. Sure. So the short answer is yes, it's a golf tournament, but really what it is, uh, it, we call it a feastable because of the 18 golf holes, about 10 of them have some sort of food or liquor on them. Basically everyone stops every 15 minutes to eat or drink. 
Okay. Um, it's, you know, more of a show than anything. People have a great time and we've spoken to a lot of guests and I don't think they're just, you know, tooting our horn. They say it's the best one they go to. The food's great. The drink's great. Everyone has a blast. It's an expensive event. Um, you know, tickets range from about 800 to a couple thousand dollars a golfer, depending on which package you get. Yep. And that attests to your point with sponsorships. Your company can sponsor holes. You can sponsor greens, you know, different ways to get involved. We do sell raffles as well, which we do at dinner. We have some auction prizes as well, different vacations in the area. Or, you know, we did a Vegas one last year, actually. Pretty cool. We had Celine Dion donate her personal seat to her show. Wow. Um, so we have a lot of cool things going on. So, so uh, and how many kids do you get to send to summer camp every year? So it amounts, I think it's about $1,000 a kid per week to go to camp. And, for instance, last year we we donated about one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Wow, seventy-five weeks worth of camp. Hundred and seventy-five weeks worth of camp. That is fantastic. You know, Jim, I went to summer camp when I was a kid, and I have no disabilities, thank God. But you know, when I look back over my life, there's some of the greatest memories I ever had. You know, the competition, the camaraderie, getting away from home, sleeping in a camp. I mean, it was an incredible experience. Jim, I'm also a Long Island boy. So Yeah, I know that, and it's great. So, a couple of things. When is your golf outing? It's in September. It's uh, always the third Thursday, so this year it's the 19th. And is there a website that people can go to to learn about it? Yes, there is. So, it's Fuco, my last name, F-U-O-C-O, dot golf. And have you sold all your greens? No, we haven't. So, around now is when we start ramping up again. Um, I would say ballpark, we usually have about 75% return golfers. Um, we can always feel pretty confident come in and then some of the new guys from last year will bring in their friends or business associates. And then, um, yeah, we, we usually do pretty well as far as filling the event. So, and that's a little bit where, why I want to get in touch with you. Um, because we want to keep generating more and more revenue, obviously. Uh, the issue is where, where, how we expand without just taking more money from the people that are there, because I want them to enjoy the day and not feel like we're just taking money out of their pocket every 10 minutes. Does that make sense? Yep. Sure it does. So, so what are some of your thoughts of how to do that? You need to open it up so, to new people or you want to reduce pricing uh, or create lower level sponsorship because at $800 a head, obviously you're, 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 you're reaching a higher end audience, right? So right. I'm involved in, uh, with the Cleveland clinic. I'm on a board of it called keep memory alive, which is a, a, a uh, brain center charity that we're involved in a brain health. Alzheimer's, Huntington's, Parkinson's, things like that. And, you know, we're a very high-end event, and we sell tickets for very high-end prices as well. And, of course, you know, the issue is when you run a high-end event, you know, how do you get the smaller amounts of money from many, many more people rather than bigger dollars from fewer people? And, and mm -hmm. you know, that, that's somewhat of a challenge. Let me offer you a couple of things, Jim. First of all, okay, uh, uh, you sell greens. How much you sell a green for? So we always uh, – we have – I don't, I don't know the number off the top of my head. Um, for I think, let's say you do the $5,000 foursome. I think you get a green with that and some other perks as well. And we have different structures like that where you could buy them in different ways, whether you golf or don't golf. Well, let me tell you what I'm going to do. You know, As a Long Island guy, as one who loves summer camp and one who loves kids and one who really wants to step up for anyone who's suffering from any kind of disabilities or anything that holds them back, I'll tell you right now, Jim, I'll buy a green. And, okay. and and when I'm finished, Corey will speak with you. Get us a little okay. information. I'm going to throw a little ad for your event on my website. 
We'll plug it for you on social. We'll plug it for you on social media. And I'll tell you what, if there's any way in the world I can get there for you, buddy, being on Long Island, I will try my best to get there. And we'll let you know if I can get there or not in the next couple of weeks so you, so you can tell people yeah. if I'm coming or not. But I will buy a yeah, green. that'd be amazing. I will buy a green. We'll support you on our website and in, in social media. And I'd love to see you pop 200,000, buddy, and, and get, you know, 200 days of summer camp this year. What do you say? You and I both. Yep. So – uh, uh, Corey, we'll talk to you now, Jim. I'm going to buy a green. We'll buy it under Taffer Media. I'll try to come to your event if you can. We'll promote it for you. And, and I want all my listeners to, to to understand that Jim didn't create this. His family did. So this isn't only about the kids, Jim. This is about your family legacy, the history of your family. This is something that's been going on for 50 years. Buddy, this is really cool. Do you have any kids, Jim? No, I don't. So I'm, I'm 31. Uh, my sister and I and my brother are basically in the transition phase, taking it from my father. Uh, um, so that's where we're at now. My sister's got a daughter, so she'll be the next generation, whether she knows that or not. Great, because uh, you want this to hit so 100 players. You want this to keep oh, going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, this is a great cause, and I thank you for calling, Jim. So, so uh, uh, Corey, we'll talk to you, and uh, uh, we will – Obviously, uh, uh, participate. Try to help you in any way that we can. And let's get a few more kids to camp, okay? All right. Thanks a lot, John. All right. Let's move right along to Anthony. How you doing, Anthony? Good. How you doing, John? Thank you for taking your time out. Oh, my pleasure, man. Are you in a restaurant business now? I am. Uh, we own a restaurant. Actually, me and my father own a restaurant in uh, on Long Island. Oh, okay. I'm an, a Long Island boy myself. Uh, uh, what type of restaurant, can I ask? It is now, we made it like a Southern-style type of theme, you know, country music, pictures of Dolly Parton on the wall, you know, all that fun stuff kind of uh, turned into that direction. Mm-hmm. We had it a different place for four years previously, and we just reinvented it probably three months ago, to be honest with you. Okay. So so you rebranded it, reopened it, and what kind of food do you have, like barbecue to accompany it or Southern, like, chicken fried steak? Yeah. Or, or what kind of stuff exactly. do you have? Like, more of a Nashville type of theme. I went down to Nashville. I took some ideas from there. Um, you know, we do country fried steak, chicken and waffles, you know, burgers, you know, your, your essential barbecue Southern type of food. Yep. And so you opened it up and did you do any marketing or, or did you do local marketing and uh, how did it open? Are you happy with the numbers? Are you concerned? Uh, nobody knows what restaurant we're talking about, Anthony. So, so uh, give me the scoop. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, as, our last restaurant that we had, we went down four hundred thousand dollars in sales from two thousand seventeen to eighteen. Wow! Which gave us the idea to rebrand. Yep. We said, you know, maybe we just redo something. But the honest opinion is, you know, we opened up. We're just not getting that guest count in. The marketing we've done has been, you know, local newspapers. I've gone out personally two to three times a week and stopped by local stores, local businesses around, dropped off flyers, introduced myself to, you know, the neighborhood, like I just did with the other restaurant. I did everything I did in the beginning because that worked yeah. and I tried it again this way and it didn't work. And that's the issue that we're facing is we're not, we need at least a guest count of at least a thousand people a week walking through these doors. And you know, the highest we've been in three months is 700. So I have a, I have a couple of things. Let me just shoot through. I'm not sure I'm right or wrong about the first couple ones, but you know, to me, if they're not coming in in the first place is concept resistance. If the outside looks good, uh, as good as the old concept did when it did draw a thousand people. If you're in the same location with the same parking characteristics, the same access characteristics, et cetera, 
and uh, you can't get them to come in in the first place, that's typically concept resistance. If it's not location resistance uh, 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 or price resistance or if you're in the same price point you were, et cetera. So that would concern me. And and being one from Long Island who knows New York City, you know, I don't know what percentage of the New York market listens to country music. I don't know that. I don't know what you know what percentage of the marketplace reacts to Dolly Parton. I don't know that, but you should. But you should. And yeah. and, and uh, uh, you know when you talk about a Nashville concept, uh, uh, I'm I'm concerned. And I'll answer your question on how to fill it in a second. I'm a little concerned because yeah. to me Nashville isn't Opryland anymore. Not to millennials, you know Nashville is is, is uh, uh, more contemporary artists today. So, you know, I would be concerned that, and uh, I, have, look, I have huge respect for Dolly, so nothing against her. I would just, I don't know what demo you're shooting for, but Country Western, I'm guessing a country concept and a barbecue concept is not going to skew over 50, 55, and that tends to be Dolly's audience. So I think you need to take a look at what you're doing and how you're doing it with the understanding that there might be some type of a barrier to sales in the way either your brand or your concept is being interpreted by the market. Next, you know, to fill a restaurant like that, I could fill it for you in a couple of weeks. And here's how I would do it. I don't believe in discounting because discounting uh, causes people to get addicted to discounting, right? So if you sell ribs for $10 and you know, people are going to get used to that, how do you go back to 18 or $20 after that? So it's very difficult. What I would do is I would, I would look at the economics. And in a market like Long Island, if you went to traditional media, Anthony, and this, this will, uh, uh, you're going to love this. If you go to traditional media and bought radio, TV, print advertising, whether it be Newsday or whatever the heck you buy out there, uh, and, then, mm. and then you did a study at the door of your restaurant and counted how much money you spent on those mediums and how many new bodies come in, you'd find that your cost for a new customer is about 70 to to $100. You run an ad on, on radio for $1,200 a pop, and every ad doesn't get you 20, 25, 30, 50 people. So, so when you do the math, you know, you wind up getting eight people per ad, uh, hence you're paying $150 a head. So traditional advertising doesn't work in that environment. Here's what I do. I would put together, what's the best thing you have on your menu, Anthony? What are you really proud of? Honestly, our wings and, yeah, like our chicken and waffles, things of that, yeah. Great. I would actually, I would produce a postcard that has the prettiest picture of chicken and waffles on it you've ever seen on one side. And the other side of that postcard, I would say, our chicken and waffles on the best online period. We're so sure. Present this card for a free chicken and waffle dinner. Now, listen to me. Free. That's going to catch them. There's no fine print. You don't have to come with somebody who's buying dinner. You can't. You can come on Friday or Saturday night. There's no restrictions other than it expires in 30 days. Now, somebody walks through the front door of your restaurant. They have the card. They say, "I'm here for my free chicken and waffles." On the way to the table, you ask them if you've been there before. They say, "Nope, first time." Say, "Great." You put a red napkin in front of them, not a white one. They say, "Why do I have a red napkin?" Everybody else has a white one. You say, "All new customers get a red napkin." During the meal, manager stops by, says hello. They're eating their chicken and waffles. Ask them if they likes it. They said, oh, it's really great. He writes on the back of his business card, $5 off ribs. Oh, man, if you like the chicken, buddy, you got to come back and have the ribs. Here, $5 off, but you got to use it this week, ribs. 
So now they leave. The chicken dinner, chicken and waffles cost you, for conversation's sake, $5. They come in the next day, second visit. They have a rib dinner, $5 discount. Let's say you break even on that. During the rib dinner, the same manager comes over. How was the ribs? Great. You're full. I'm stuffed. Here we go, buddy. Here's a right on the back of his business card. Get a free piece of cheesecake, but you got to use it this week. Okay. Comes in a third time. Here's the truth about restaurants that marketers and advertising people won't tell you. If you go to a restaurant, Anthony, and it was a flawless experience, the statistical likelihood of you going back to that restaurant a second time is under 40%. If you do come a second time and you have a flawless experience a second time, the statistical likelihood of a third visit is 42%. But if you come a third time and you have another flawless experience, the statistical likelihood of a fourth visit is over 70%. So you don't market to one visit, you market to three. You with me? Now, let's say you did this and you gave away hundreds of orders of chicken and waffles. The chicken and waffles cost you five freaking dollars. Radio spots cost you 1200 You put them on the air and nobody comes. With the chicken and waffle offer, you don't pay till they're in the building. Your cost per acquisition for a new customer is under $8. There's not a media in Long Island that can do that. So you make a big fat claim. My chicken and waffles are the best in Long Island. I'm so sure. Come and eat them for free. People come and eat them for free. In the restaurant, you have a mechanism that gets them back for a second visit. You with me, Anthony? Yes. When they come in for the second visit and they drop that business card on the table, they get a mechanism for a third visit. Then you have a statistical likelihood of 72% that they're going to come back for a fourth visit. The first visit cost you out of pocket, let's say $6. I'll be gracious. The second item was free, and a cheesecake cost you $2, let's say. For $8 cost... You got a customer to come to your restaurant for three visits with a 70% likelihood of coming back a fourth time, and they don't expect free again. That's how you fill your restaurant. Now, you take, you take your advertising budget, you stop spending it on advertising, and you put it into a gratis account, and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to give away 50 orders of chicken a week. $5 an order, 5 times 50, that's going to cost me $250 in food cost. The postcards are going to cost me $0.50 cents each, so that's $25 for under $300. I'm going to get 50 people in my restaurant. That's the way to do it, man. I'm going to definitely do that. Good luck, buddy. Thank you very much. Take care. You know, Years ago, uh, we were consulting to a project in Pleasantville, New Jersey, which is right by Atlantic City, Corey. And the guy calls me on the phone. He says, John, I got the only mechanical bull in, bull in all of New Jersey. I can't understand that I'm losing a fortune. And he's thinking, wow, if he has the only mechanical bull in New Jersey, he should be a freaking millionaire, right? He's got the only one. Right. Well, when I went there and I sent the team in and we did his market research and his competitive research and stuff, I came back to him. He said, you know why you're failing, Pete? His name was Pete. He said, because you have the only bull in New Jersey. This isn't Texas, man, or Oklahoma. This is freaking New Jersey. Nobody rides bulls in New Jersey. I'm not sure a country western-themed restaurant is right in Long Island, but I hope it is. Listen, I'd really love it if you'd be on the show. You can challenge me, argue with me, disagree with me, agree with me, whatever you like. But the more challenging, the better. Just send an email to podcast at com. 
podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will open those emails. He'll set it up with you. And then you and I will talk on a podcast and we'll have some fun. And by the way, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, that does it for this week, and I am really excited. Next week, I have a great guest. Brian Kilmeade from Fox News will be on. Some of you don't know this. Brian is not only an anchor on Fox News. Brian owns a bar, and I've actually been to his bar. I've, I've consulted and worked with him there. So Brian is, is a hospitality guy, a news anchor, a sports nut, and we're going to have a great conversation next week, and I'll talk to you all then. Take care.